0: So today is a kind of a standalone sermon, Um, you know how sometimes in our devotion times we read scripture and there's a verse or two that you kind of linger on or you pause on and this is a verse that I read earlier this year that I want to preach on today that I kind of had written down on a sheet of paper for me to come back to later and this week was the later for me where I got to kind of dig into this verse Uh, and, and when we read these verses sometimes it's because they speak to us in our life or we have a question of why or we just say there's something unique in this. And it's important for us to pause. Let me just say that as a pastor. If you're reading scripture and there's something that either causes a huh or a wow, pause on that. <laughs> it's okay if you don't finish the day's reading. You know what I mean? Like If you're pausing on that, you're lingering on that, and you're trying to hear what God is speaking to you. His word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It speaks to us today. There's life in his word, so make sure you don't miss the life that he's given you in his word when you read his word. That's besides the point. So as I, as I start today, I just want to read some verses. So for everyone, we're going to read some verses in the book of Numbers. I'm going to give you the background on those verses, and then we're going to kind of conclude with the verses, kind of come back to the rest of the story. So Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 says in the first month the whole israelite community arrived at the desert of zin and they stayed there at, at and they stayed at kadesh there miriam died and was buried now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to moses and aaron they quarrelled with moses and said if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the lord why did you bring the lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, no grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Verse 5 is the verse that jumped out to me when I read this. And if you've ever read through Exodus and Numbers, a complaint from the Israelites isn't that unusual. The Israelites were good at a few things, and one of them was grumbling and complaining. They they were not content in spite of all that God had done. And I looked at this in the context of being a leader. Now, Moses has been given the, the commission to lead God's people. And in leading them, he's tried to lead effectively. And this is towards the end of his leadership. And Moses is dealing with a pretty tragic event. What happened? His sister dies. We don't say that the people, that they, they, they gave him time to mourn. But what happens? I mean, leaders. His sister dies. He's processing his own personal uh, uh, trials. This is probably this chapter, Numbers chapter 20 is, is the challenge of Moses' leadership. I won't get into what happens too much, but this is where the water comes from, the rock God tells him to speak to the rock, but Moses strikes the rock and he gets punished to not go into the promised land. Is actually what happens right here in the midst of this chapter. But it's one of these compelling leadership moments for Moses. He's dealing with the loss of his sister, and the people that he's leading are complaining. They're upset, like they're blaming. Moses, why are we here? All I want is a drink of water. All we need are some grains some grapes, (laughs) some pomegranates, and some figs. That's what we want. And we got done with it. And they start to blame. They start to accuse. They start to become discontent with the leadership of Israel. In itself, it's not that big of a a verse. We have no grapevines, no figs, no uh, pomegranates, no grain. But to me as a pastor, I, I, I was screaming at, 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 the, at the book as I read it. And, and, and I wanted Moses to lead like I want to lead sometimes. I wanted Moses to speak to these people and rebuke them in this moment. Because the backstory to all this, the backstory, this is like the end of Moses' ministry. So I want to go to the beginning of Moses' ministry. And what happened? He was, he was in Egypt, remember, and he's out and there's a bush that catches on fire. And God speaks to him, he's curious as to why this bush is burning, but it's not burning, it's not being consumed. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Now how long were the people of God in Egypt? 430 years. Why were they in Egypt? They were in Egypt as slaves. And Egypt wasn't particularly fond of Israel, or they weren't very graceful to Israel. They were a tough, they were an oppressive, uh, a, a slave-owning people. And so the people have cried out to God, God, let us leave Egypt. Let us get out of Egypt. And God speaks to Moses in the midst of their prayers and says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. Now your suffering has got to be bad when God's looking at you and says, I'm concerned about your suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. In verse 8, it says, And I'm going to bring them out of that land to a land, or a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So God speaks to Moses, and what does he tell Moses? What does he promise Moses? He's going to lead, what? The people of Israel out of the slavery, out of the bondage, and he's going to take them Where? To a land that's flowing with milk and honey. To a good land. That's God's plan. That's God's promise. That's what God says he's going to do. So to fast forward through some of this, what happens is Moses talks to Pharaoh and wants to leave, but Pharaoh won't let him go. So there's these plagues that happen. There's like frogs and gnats and, and all these crazy things, boils, and, and, and the death of livestock. There's darkness. And, and there's the death of the firstborn son where they take the, the blood of the lamb and they put it on their homes so the... Angel of death allows them, the the angel of death passes over their house, right? That's the Passover we talk about. And so Pharaoh looks at Moses, says, get out of here. Moses gets the people of Israel. They start going out. I mean, I know we all know this, but I'm just telling the story. As they're on the way out, Pharaoh decides, wait a minute, that wasn't the best decision. We need these people. We got some buildings they haven't finished, so he pursues them, right? The whole Red Sea thing happens. Like the, the, the waters crash over Pharaoh's army, so they're out in the wilderness, and what do God's people do? I said the Israelites were good at what? They complain. So first they're hungry. So what does God do? He gives them manna, and then uh, they complain because the manna isn't good enough. They want some meat. They're meat eaters. they don't want to be vegetarians. So God gives them more quail than they know what to do with. They're thirsty. So God tells Moses to strike a rock and water comes forth from the rock. I mean, all these things are happening in the midst of, of Moses leading his people out. There was the whole Mount Sinai thing, you know, where Moses and, and Aaron are up on the mountain and the people think they're not coming back. They make the calf. All this stuff is going on. Moses is being tested as a leader. But we get to Numbers chapter 13. Moses comes to where? Where? Now, this is early in Moses' leadership. Moses has done a good job. He's led the people to Canaan. Well, what was Canaan? That was the land that God had promised. So, I mean, if I'm Moses, I'm feeling like, hey, my job is about done. Like, I'm about to be be done with what we're doing. But before we go into this land, we're going to send, they pick 12 spies, and they send them into the land. Moses has been an effective leader. He's led the people to where God told him to lead the people to, where God's promises were about to be fulfilled to his people. So he sends people into the land. He sends 12 spies. And he says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, that's the land of the Canaanites, If, in case you were wondering. Remember Exodus, where he promised that. That's what that is. He said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they, are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor, poor? Excuse me. Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So verse 23 says, When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. Now, Wait a minute. I'm going to pause. What did they find in Numbers chapter 13? Did they not find some grapes, some pomegranates, and some figs. So the people of God, they go into the promised land and they find between them grapes, a cluster of grapes that they have to carry between two men. There are some big grapes. It's an abundant land. That place was called the Valley of Vegetable because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they go in to the land that God has promised. He sends 12 spies into that land. They look around and they find the promises of God. They find what God has promised them. So it says in in verse 26 they come back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them some of the fruit of the land. They showed them the promise. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. I mean, this sounds good. But then the but, verse 28, but. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very Large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites. Now, God said this is the land they were going to take over. I mean, he used these names in Exodus chapter uh, 7 or wherever that was. Three. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So they've got, this 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 is an interesting moment. They're holding in their hands the promises of God. Let Pastor Steve alliterate a little bit. They've got some grain. They've got some grapevines. They've got some pomegranates. And they've got some figs. And they're standing there saying, this is what's in the land. And everything sounds really great. But all of a sudden, they begin to do what? They start to talk about the giants that are in that land. Caleb is a little bit different. Caleb silences the people before Moses and says, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. All of a sudden, because of fear, because of concern, because of doubts, they begin to do what? Spread among the people. Now, I'm guessing most of the people had heard God's promise to Moses. And they were all expecting the report to come back about big old grapes. That's what they came out with. But what what report was spread? It was the report of the giants. It was the report uh, of of how terrible this place was. Now, I don't understand how they can come out and say it's a land flowing with milk and honey and have the grapes and pomegranates to prove it, but what they're telling everyone is, is all the negative. And because of that, because of their words, They forfeited the promises. Because the people then get upset. They want to elect leaders other than Moses to lead them. That night, the members of the community raised their voices. They wept aloud. All the Israelites, how many of them? They all grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly says to them, if only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness... Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, they, they who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They said to the entire assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. The protection is God, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. See, in the midst of, of the chaos, in the midst of the rebellion, in the midst of the grumbling, Caleb is still positioning for the power and promise of God. Joshua and Caleb are, are saying, hey guys, we can do this. I saw them with my eyes, but the power of God, he's not with them. The power of God is with us. And if we go in with the power of God, they're not going to devour us. They're not going to devour our children and steal our wives. We're going to destroy them but the people the people make a choice to forfeit the promise the people make a choice to not go into Canaan they've seen Some have tasted, they've heard the promise that is to be fulfilled. Yet because of the giants and because of their fear and their self, they forfeited the promise that God had set before them. And so God, I'm just giving you the story. So what God does is he, he punishes them, right? So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say in this wilderness. Your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. So God looks at the people. Now, where were they led to? They were led to the place of his promise. But why didn't they get the promise of God? Whose choice was it that they wouldn't receive his promise? It was their choice, right? Israel made the choice to not receive the promise of God. Israel chose to go somewhere else. God said, I'll give you what you're asking for, but you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And it's going to be 40 tough years for you, And I'll tell you what, every one of you that's over the age of 20, you're going to die at some point in the wilderness because you grumbled against the promise that I tried to give you. Because you complained when I tried to give you the promise that was before you. Every one of you will die. So you fast forward. <laughs> Numbers chapter 20 is toward the end of the 40 years. Now I got a guess when I heard that God was going to wait 40 years. I'm going to have a countdown, <laughs> especially if I was 19. Look, <laughs> like, what's coming? At the end of 40 years, God's going to do what? At the end of 40 years, we get the promise. And at the end of 40 years, we get Numbers chapter 20. Miriam dies. The water dries up. Leadership's changing. There's nothing to drink. Man, what I wouldn't give for a grape right now. What I wouldn't give for a fig right now. Just for some grain to make some bread. And Israel does... What Israel does, and they begin to complain. And they begin to blame. And who did they blame? Moses. Moses, why did you lead us here? What about that God that you've been serving, Moses? Why? You said you're following. Remember that whole pillar of cloud and fire and everything that that they're following God? Why have you led us to this point today? All I want is some figs. All I want is some jelly. I want a fig and jelly sandwich. Whose fault? Whose fault? fault was it that they didn't have grains or figs grapevines or pomegranates See, what stood out to me when I read these verses, I thought about all that God had showed them in the promised land. I thought about all that God had done when he revealed his promise to his people. When I read these verses, I saw them complaining about what they didn't have, complaining to Moses and complaining to God about what wasn't before them. And I thought, but wait, your leader tried to give you this. Your God tried to, to provide you with this, yet you forfeited the promise. You rejected the promise that God had for you. It was your choice, not his, that you don't have figs today. It was your choice, not his, that you don't have grapes today. It was your choice. In my notes... How easy is it to blame God for the mess I'm in? But the reality is, this mess is the result of my choice. I have a a, a thing with my kids. They're in the room today, so I'll say this. Sometimes, when they get in trouble for something, right, Levi? Not you, Levi, this Levi. Oh, gosh. People think, like, I'm never getting trouble anymore. I'm a graduate now. I'm my own man. Get married, we'll get in trouble again. If they get in trouble for something, what is the first thing they like to do? Well, I did it because of what do you got, buddy? They don't necessarily lie, but they want to make sure it was my fault, not their fault, that they're acting the way they're acting. but you never do that do you yeah don't lie you see, really that's the condition of men. Oftentimes when we're facing something that we don't like, when we're facing a circumstance that seems kind of messy or they're starving or they're thirsty or we have these real needs, we start to look for someone to blame rather than looking at where we're at in the midst of this. What is our place in the midst of this? I don't want to get too political, but this whole situation I talked about in Sunday school about the shooting in Texas, we're all looking for someone to blame. Rather than looking for someone to blame, my heart is I want to look at myself. And am I being salt and in this world because we can talk about guns and we can talk about mental illness but the reality is this is a sin problem that God has given the church to give the answer for but people haven't heard it. It's not someone else's fault. We need to own our place in the problem. The Israelites could not own their place in the problem. Their mess was the result of their choice. Oh, but how often Is it easier to blame Moses? How often is it easier to blame God? Promise saying, I just want a little sip of water and a couple grapes and you can't even give me that. When they held The promise in their hands. You can't tell me those 12 spies, when they were in the midst of Canaan, didn't eat some grapes, didn't eat some pomegranates, didn't eat some figs while they were there. They tasted and saw that it was good. Yet because of the giants, yet because of the fear, yet because of the problems that were set before them, they forfeited the promise. It's their fault. Uh Uh-oh. Pastor's about ready to step on some toes. Jim's are out pretty far, so may I just step on his I said I wanted to be pastor for Moses right there. I wanted Moses to look at the people and say, it's not my fault, it's your fault. You know what? Maybe, just maybe this morning the mess that you're in the middle of, maybe, just maybe this morning, the hunger and thirst that you have for, the promises that you're not experiencing, maybe, just maybe this morning, it's not pastor's fault and it's not the church's fault and it's not some other person's fault, but it's my fault. It's what I've done. It's what I've rejected. It's what I haven't done. It's when I've allowed the giants to stand in the way of the promise. It's when I've started to doubt who I am in Him. It's when I've started to listen to the words that everybody else is saying and they all convinced me that I couldn't. Man. I better get back to my notes. Israel didn't have grapes or pomegranates. They didn't have water because they disobeyed God. They didn't have His promise because of their choice, not because of His plan. Did you hear that? Sometimes we don't have His promise, not because of God's plan, but because of my choices. They were hungry and thirsty because his way seemed impossible to everyone. But Caleb and Joshua, they were without his promise because they were persuaded by the words of men. Without his promise because of self-doubt. Without his promise because of giants in the land. But in the midst of this, we're going backwards. Number 14, God describes Caleb this way. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, And follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to. He and his descendants will inherit. You see, Caleb and Joshua got to experience the promises of God. Now, they had to wait 40 years with everyone else. You want to talk about complaining? The only two guys that have a right to complain right now are Caleb and Joshua. Joshua. They're the ones who said we should do this. They're the ones who said we can, we can take this. They're the ones who said these giants are nothing. They're the ones who, who were there. They're the ones who have tasted, so they've got to be craving what was coming. I mean, most of those people who were there, they had died by now at this point in the journey. But because they had a different spirit, man, sometimes I read scripture. You know, we were reading about Barnabas the other day, and I was like, I want to be described like that. I want to be described like Caleb. I have a different spirit. And I follow God wholeheartedly. It means when God makes a promise and when he reveals his plans, that I do it. You know, when God promises me forgiveness. It means that I'm forgiven no matter what giant stands in the way. It means that I'm forgiven no matter what other people have to say. It means that I'm forgiven even if I screw up tomorrow. I am forgiven because that's God's promise. That's God's plan for my life. You know, when God makes a promise of purpose, like he's called me to do something, but sometimes you know what church people were not very good at. Sometimes we're not very good at being Barnabas an encourager. We're good at being a discourager. Are you sure God said that? You want to know how many voices told me not to come to Crawford, Nebraska? Lots! And sometimes the purpose is before us. But see, men, they begin to spread doubt. They begin to spread fear. They begin to spread confusion. And sometimes we succumb to the fear and doubts and confusion. And if we don't listen, we don't get to experience the promise of God. God's made some really cool promises in me that don't make sense in the context of Crawford, Nebraska, but I know that He will. Why? Because He said He would! And there's something about having a different spirit, a spirit that says, you know what? It doesn't matter how many people don't think I can. It doesn't matter how many people say those giants are so big. It doesn't matter how many people are, uh, how big they are or how strong they are or how nasty they are. I'm going to do it. Why? Because my God told me to do it and I can do it. Why? Because my God is in me and he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Sam, come up here, please, to sing something. Probably the last song you sang, please. Sometimes God's promise is His provision. But we don't take hold of what He set before us. He promises us hope. He promises us salvation. He promises us purpose. He promises us freedom. He promises us life. He promises us abundant life. He promises us people. He promises us effectiveness. He promises us that we will reach the world, that we will be salt and light in the world. Yet too many times we look at a mountain that's too big or we look at giants that are too strong and we don't do what God has called us to do. And then we sit there and we long for the promises in our life and we become a bitter people. And we begin to blame those who aren't responsible for the position that we're in. There's no grain. There's no figs. There's no grapevines. There's, there's no pomegranate. You know, Tim sang a song. It was called The Blood of Jesus. Is that what it's called? All oh, the blood. I want to tell you that because of that promise that was sealed, what caused the deliverance of God's people? It was the blood of the Lamb that set them free from captivity. But where did they want to go when they got so embittered at the end? Because they weren't living in the promise that God had given them. They wanted to go where? They wanted to go back to Egypt! We shake our heads. But isn't that what happens in us? Isn't that what happens in people around us at times? God makes a promise. We reject his promise. They blame someone other than God. And then they want to go back to that place of slavery. I want to be Caleb. I want to have a different spirit. I want to be Caleb. I want to follow God wholeheartedly. You know that when he says, Say to this mountain be moved, and the world says it's impossible, I look at that mountain and I scream, Get out of the way. I want to be Caleb when God says, That that there's a promise that is yours. It's a promise of goodness. It's a promise of provision. Yet there seem to be giants in the way I say, it doesn't matter because we can take hold of what God has given me because God told me to. I want to be Caleb when the world looks at me and says, You're not forgiven. When the world says there's a fairy tale called heaven that you believe in. When the world says there's no way. It's impossible. When the voices say that they'll never respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And the voices say, "You want to go where and do what? I want to have a different spirit, and I want to obey wholeheartedly. God, I, I come here this morning and I pray across this room. God, there were a lot of words to get to this point. There were a lot of, uh, of backstory to get to this place, but it's all about your promise. You know, it was a promise that you spoke to Moses 40 plus years before. It's a promise that you've spoken to us, God. Some, we've heard promises. We've heard about a Canaan. We've heard about a land, a purpose, a hope, a joy. We've heard about forgiveness with the Giants but the self-doubt, but the fears, but the people, on our surroundings. Help us to be like Caleb. You promise us a new spirit. God, I pray that you would give us a new spirit. A different spirit a bold spirit a tenacious spirit a spirit who obeys you wholeheartedly no matter how easy, no matter how simple no matter how hard no matter how mundane we obey you with everything Spirit of God, as we as we sing this song, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would remind us of some Bush dialogues. Those moments where you communicated promise to your people. For some, God, I pray that you can remind them of the moment they held that promise in their hand that they tasted that promise that they that they experienced that promise but they left it there and they've been wandering God the blood of Jesus Christ. He said I'm the way, the truth and the life. The key to the promises that you've given are ours through Jesus Christ. And God, if we need to cry out for the blood of Jesus Christ, maybe some of us need to repent. That's acknowledge the place that we went. That's acknowledging our position in rejecting. That's saying, God, we want to change from what was. We repent and acknowledge that it was us. It wasn't a pastor, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't God, it was me and my choice. And I can do something about that choice this morning. I can ask you to forgive for what was, because that forgiveness comes in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can ask you for my promised land, because that promise is fulfilled through what Jesus Christ accomplished. It's mine in Him. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open the altars today as Tam sings this chorus. I'll be here to pray, or if you just need to spend a moment with the Lord, to wrestle with, hey, do I need the promises? Do I need to be reminded of the promises? Do I need to repent for my failures? Do I need to own my place and stop blaming everyone else? Because the saddest part of this story is everyone over 20 who never experienced the promise of God. My tragedy as, as a leader would be someone in this room not experiencing the promise of God because of your choice. We choose to walk in His promise We choose to receive his promise. That's a promise that if you've never received it, Jesus Christ died so that you might have life and have it to the full. We all struggle with sin. Every one of us, we struggle with with doing the wrong things, but Jesus came, shed his blood so that my sin can be forgiven. The promise of forgiveness is yours this morning. The promise of hope is yours this morning. You can taste and see that he is good but it's your choice there's always giants there's always naysayers there's always those that will say no but it's your choice God has brought you to a place that you can experience it. he's put you in a position where you can know it don't forfeit his promise. We're Caleb, amen? A different spirit, and we follow him. We obey him wholeheartedly. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace, and may you not forfeit any promise, but receive everything he intends. Amen? Be blessed.